Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Hey folks, this is Kevin. Just a few words before we start. Well, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. And have you been to proflowers.com? You have to see all the bouquets and uh, chocolate-covered strawberries and love bears. Do you, you, you've got to get yourself a love bear. You can't have this bear or somewhat bear-ish fellow unless you are a gay Asian male. You're fairly close to the New York City area. So for God's sake, get yourself a damn love bear. They're soft and brown. Two of my favorite things. People, the deals at proflowers.com are wonderful. They have beautiful stuff. Tell someone you love them or tell someone you're horribly, horribly sorry for doing something you might later tell a story on risk about. Anyway, you just go to proflowers.com. You click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. You use the offer code RISK, R-I-S-K. And you get a free vase with your order or a vase. I'm not going to quibble about this bullshit. It's proflowers.com and the offer code is risk. And then you got all those Valentine cards to send out. How about using stamps.com, pussy boy? I consider that the highest of compliments. Don't take that the wrong way. If you haven't heard... Postage rates have changed again. It means the post office is going to be more crowded than usual. Come on. You know you hate it. That's why you need Stamps.com. Stamps.com makes it so easy not to have to go to the post office. You can do everything you want right from your desk. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. 
Stamps.com always updates the postage rates for you automatically. You get the exact postage. We've been using Stamps.com at risk in the story studio for, I don't know, a year now. It's so convenient. So right now you use our promo code RISK for this special offer. It's a no-risk trial for a pro-risk cause because we get money if you do this. Plus, you get a $110 bonus offer that includes a digital scale and up to $55 free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now, today's episode is all from the San Francisco Sketch Fest. We had one hell of a show there. And so, without further ado, now here's the show. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. It is great to be back. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. How many people know the podcast? (laughs) Thank you, thank you. In a way, things kind of started out here at Sketchfest, this whole shebang. We say on Risk that these are the kind of stories that you're probably not going to be hearing on NPR. You know, the philosophy of the show is not just share about shit that you never thought you'd be sharing about in public, but also do stuff, you know? We're calling tonight's uh, theme Outside the Comfort Zone. So the idea is to start trying stuff outside the comfort zone. And shortly after I started the show, fans and friends started pushing me to start doing shit that might be outside my comfort zone. So about a year and a half ago, someone dared me to go to this kink camp. And that turned into the episode called Kevin Goes to Kink Camp. And damned if it didn't fucking transform my life. I am like a ridiculous... I'm up to my eyeballs in bondage and discipline now. And when, when I, I got the news that, you know, I was coming to San Francisco, I was so disappointed that I'm only here for one night. And I said, oh, fuck, how much of San Francisco... Can I see in one night? Well, sure enough, some kinksters who are fans of the podcast wrote to me and they said, oh my God, you're doing Risk tonight. Come to our orgy afterwards. (laughs) So I'm going to see an awful lot of San Francisco tonight. I can't wait till this motherfucker is over. No, I'm kidding. We have an amazing show tonight. We're going to start with uh, one of the co-hosts of the regular monthly risk show that happens in Los Angeles at the Nerdmelt Theater. I love him very dearly, and he is an amazing man. Please welcome Mr. Kamal Nanjiani. Hey, how's it going, guys? Uh, So the theme is outside your comfort zone. Uh, it sort of jumps back and forth in time a little bit. I was in Scotland last year. My name is Kumail Nanjiani, that's my name. I was doing shows in Scotland. And um, for whatever reason, the MCs would get my last name exactly right every time. Nanjiani, which sounds Italian, it's not. Nanjiani, it's not. It's fucking Pakistani. 
to just like me. <laughs> but my first name, Kumail, which is much easier, they would always mess it up. They would be like, up next, Kabul Nanjiani, which is the name of a city, not a human being, which is what I am, Scotland. So I'm there for two weeks. This happens over and over. They can't get my first name right. They always nail my second name. I'm like, what the f- why is this happening? This is the story. I'm from Pakistan, like I said. Very conservative Muslim family. 60 years ago, 60 years ago, the first person from our family in Pakistan was allowed to leave to um, uh, go and study. We were, nobody was allowed to go to the West until then because of, you know, the corrupting influence of the West, which, you know what, they're kind of right. <laughs> we don't have strip clubs and Walmart greeters, you know? Like, maybe I'm greeting them wrong. <laughs> I don't know. So... Uh, 60 years ago, the first guy is allowed to leave and they like train him in, you know, Islam and like how to resist the temptations of the West, blah, blah, all this stuff, like work really hard, we send him off. Uh, he falls in love with a white woman, marries her, gets kicked out of the family. It happens immediately and our family is reeling, we have to regroup, nobody's allowed to leave uh, for a very long time after that. Until uh, 15 years ago, the next person who's allowed to leave uh, is me. And I came here, fell in love with a white woman, and married her. So, I don't know. We can't handle white women. I don't know. Nanjiani zero, white women two. I called my mom to tell her, and she wasn't even surprised. She was like, you know what? This time, shame on us. Lock the gates. That's what I heard her say. Lock the gates. So this guy uh, changes his name. Going back to the guy, he marries a white woman, gets kicked out of the family. He changes his name to Max, which is not fooling anyone. He looks like a fucking muksud, you know? <laughs> Nobody's buying Max. But he, he has two kids, uh, one named Ian, one named Shireen. So you can see this sort of divvied up naming responsibilities. Shireen becomes a very, very successful newscaster in Glasgow, Scotland, sort of the Barbara Walters of Scotland. And you're like, oh, so that's why Shireen Nanjiani, that's why everyone knows how to say her name, because she's famous. No, she, she retired 15 years ago. Even kids knew how to say Nanjiani. This is why. This is fucking true. Scotland has rhyming slang, so what they'll do is they'll replace a word with a word that rhymes with it. So instead of clue, they'll be like Scooby-Doo. Like, I don't have a Scooby-Doo. I swear that's what they do. <laughs> I don't have a Scooby-Doo. What is wrong with you people? Less potatoes, please. I don't know, is that... <laughs> Nanjiani rhymes with Punani. So I swear to you, in Glasgow, my name is a nickname for pussy. <laughs> and for a full week, I was going up on stage like, hello, my name is Johnny Vagina. <laughs> Here are some jokes not addressing that fact. <laughs> and everyone's like, why isn't he doing his pussy jokes? That's why we came. It's in his name. <laughs> Two weeks, I didn't know. But I like to think of young Maksud Nanjiani in, in Pakistan, 18 years old, going to the other side of the world, nervous, he doesn't know what's, what's gonna happen, terrified. 60 years later, his name is slang for vagina. That's the fucking dream right there. <laughs> Nothing I do will ever top that. But then after, so, uh, 
going back a little bit more uh, to uh, that my parents eventually uh, moved here because, you know, things in Pakistan got really bad. So my family was the first one to sort of move to America. And they eventually uh, fell in love with Emily, too, the way I had. And we decided we were going to get married. And uh, so it's the day of our wedding. And it's, it's in New Jersey at my parents' house. We're having a small ceremony. Uh, her parents, sister, my parents, very few people, not many friends. You'll see why. <laughs> the Muslim priest guy shows up to marry us and... Okay, to, to describe to you what he looks, this is the only way I can describe what he looks like. Like, uh, pretend you're racist, <laughs> and then imagine a Muslim. <laughs> That's what this guy looked like. But he had the beard and the hair stuff and the flowing robes. Like, lose one accoutrement, you know? You don't have to check all the boxes. <laughs> we get it. He looked like a Muslim on the news, you know? <laughs> so, so he shows up, and uh, he's talking to my mom, and he's like, so what are the names of the people getting married? And my mom says, well, his name is Kumail. And he goes, that is a beautiful name. <laughs> and her name is Emily. And he says, I will not marry someone named Emily. On my wedding day, yeah. So my mom freaks out. And she comes to Emily, she's like, hey, can we change your name? <laughs> Just for one day. And she's wonderful, and it's our wedding day. So she's like, yeah, whatever. So we decided to go with the name Iman, uh, which means faith, which is ironic, because we don't have it. <laughs> and then we go back and we're like, to the guy, like, hey, change of plans, now he's marrying Iman. Still looks like a girl from North Carolina, but. Why don't you just squint and collect a paycheck here? <laughs> so, so the ceremony starts, and this is how Muslim ceremonies work, is that the guys and the girls can't be in the same room. Uh, even the guy, like I, am not in the, in the same room as my wife. To, this is, by the way, why none of my friends were invited to my wedding, because it's a fucking embarrassing. <laughs> Let's not get into it. Everybody can hear this, and I know we're not the most laid-back people. Um, so, so it's all the guys are in the basement, and, I'm, and Emily is up the stairs with an earshot, because this is the guy marrying us, so she has to be able to hear to say the I do's and stuff. <laughs> Jesus, no. Jesus is not in this place. So Emily is up the, sort of, up the stairs on the landing in sort of where the ladies are allowed to be. And, uh, and I'm sitting next to this fucking guy who I hate, you know, this judgmental fucking condescending asshole. And it's my wedding day, I should be happy. Now, instead, I'm angry that this is the guy marrying me, you know? So he's saying the, uh, the ceremony and I'm saying our Arabic I do's and I could sort of hear Emily from far away saying Arabic I do's. And... Uh, Halfway through the ceremony, this is completely true, halfway through the ceremony, Beyonce's Naughty Girl uh, starts playing in the room, but just the chorus over and over, I'm a naughty girl, I'm a naughty girl, I'm a naughty girl. And I'm looking around like, who the fuck has this as their ringtone? And didn't fucking turn it off on my wedding day. I'm just getting angrier, you know? And I look around to see who it is. It's my family, and like the guy most likely is her dad, who's not likely at all to have it. He's like, you know, a 70-year-old 
guy from North Carolina. It's playing for way too long. I'm a naughty girl. I fucking swear this is completely true. This fucking asshole priest reaches into his pocket, pulls out a glowing cell phone, flips it open to see who's calling, because that's just his general ringtone for everyone. That's not like naughty girl, oh, Zubeda must be calling, you know? And then just puts it down without hitting ignore. So for another 30 seconds, the Quran and Beyonce harmonize together. So that's our song now. Thank you so much, guys. It was awesome. Thank you. Slang for vagina. <laughs> and I like that that story required everyone to imagine they were racist for just a moment. <laughs> Our next storyteller I want to bring out now, she is a, a native of this city. You can find her here at the show, the stand-up show called The Business. On a regular basis, please welcome Miss Caitlin Gill. <laughs> Hey everybody. So I have to say it was kind of funny when I saw what the topic for tonight's event was outside the comfort zone because I'm not sure exactly what I would describe as being inside my comfort zone. <laughs> I am not easily described as a comfortable person. I operate with like a base level of anxiety and nervousness that I don't think most people are willing to embrace. Uh, but I, I have grown accustomed and fond. Uh, that's just kind of how I roll. I think the better adjective is probably feral. <laughs> like house trained, but still a little nervous about being inside. <laughs> like, I promise you that this is the most comfortable I will be talking to any of you tonight. <laughs> Uh, should we find ourselves in conversation, rest assured. It was a lot easier when I had a microphone, a stage, and lights. That's much more comfortable for me. Uh, so I was kind of delighted to pick through to decide which one of my stories actually existed outside of my comfort zone other than all of them. Uh, but I thought specifically of this thing that happened about a year after I started stand-up comedy, I decided it would be a good idea to become a more well-rounded performer and I pursued a workshop in solo performance, which would be like writing a one-woman show style thing. And like stand-up comedy is a lot of fun, but it only requires that I hit one button. Laugh, 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 laugh. That's all I want you to do all of the time. And in like a one-woman show, that would be very different. Like I would explore a broader range of emotion. I would have to become comfortable with longer periods of silence, like this one. <laughs> <laughs> that is inherently terrifying for a comedic performer. But I was very curious about exploring all that, and so I decided that a workshop would be worth it. So that's what I did. I signed up to take this solo performance workshop. And there's like 12 of you in a class, uh, and it goes a few weeks. You meet three hours a week, and you break, down a war you break down your own idea for a show together. And then at the end, you all perform your show. And then we'll work that thing. And I thought that would be worth it. It was really good. 
Uh, the first class was just like any other first class that's ever been a first class. We showed up, we got a syllabus, we introduced each other with some stupid icebreaker game, and then we left with an assignment. And the assignment was to come back to the next class with a list of ten things that we were afraid to say in front of other people. <laughs> and like, I'm a comedian, that's kind of my job description. <laughs> Like, my comedy is best described as confessional. I already say some stuff that's kind of hard to say out loud. The rest of what I have to say is not just hard for me to say, but probably pretty hard for people to hear. Like, <laughs> I am less concerned, like, having mined the rest of my discomfort, I'm a little bit less worried about how I feel saying it and more about how those poor 12 trapped people are going to hear <laughs> and what they're going to have to say. So I was a little bit nervous, but I got my list together and I showed up to the second class and we meet in this crazy ob where like on the sixth floor of this building, downtown San Francisco, that has a whole bunch of theater stuff in it. You get in with this little code. So I'm in the theater building now. And like, here's how I know I'm not an important person. I live in San Francisco, a major urban center globally, and I spend my entire life on the first floor of everything. I'm never in an elevator or an escalator. <laughs> So like, I am on the sixth floor. This feels like the big time. I'm pretty excited. Like, I take a picture of the view. Uh. <laughs> so we're meeting and I, like, it all, it, the class is kind of this cool, it's good Motley crew. There's like a former bassist of a punk band because what 50-year-old who lives in the mission isn't a former bassist <laughs> of a punk band. San Francisco is rife with them. There was like a... There's like a bored housewife exploring her creative side. There's like a super sweet Midwestern lady who was like human syrup. Like she literally wore braided pigtails. Braided pigtails on purpose on a grown-up. It was adorable. She was so nice. There was like the overly effusive Asian lady. Like there was a, you know, who was like so good at everything. Like, and you have an MBA? I also, there's the guy who was like so gay that he was every part of the word gay. He was a pie. He was just a rainbow, just exploding. So happy, and every hug was really long and smelled like a warm person. Like he was just, like he wasn't sweaty. He was just damp with gay, just gay dampness. Just so gay, and I'm damp. There's this lady, like a trust fund rusted, trustafarian lady with her thermos eating quinoa out of the thermos with like the bamboo chopsticks. There was like a white dude who played a, like acoustic guitar a little too well. Like, I don't know what that means, but it means something, you know? I don't trust you, white, white guy who plays acoustic guitar too well. And people got up and they read their lists and these aren't all people who are performers. They're like, it's, you know, it was stuff you expect people to be like afraid to say, like, mm, I'm ashamed I'm balding. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sometimes I park in handicapped spaces. Ah! <laughs> I always ask for a double cup and I job a jacket. Mm. I like my servants more than my parents. Mm. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> relatively banal, but scary. People were out on a limb, and it was, the way they were set up was cool. They, everybody was sitting in a semicircle, and when you read your list, you'd stand up in the middle of the circle, and you read your list, and then everybody got to ask you questions about your list. So you, yeah, you're interrogated about what you're afraid of. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's like it's cathartic, and it was going really well. People were like, you know, 
getting into it, and it was good, and it was my turn. And, like, you know, my list is a little bit different. Like, creepy uncle, creepier grandpa. Like, weird, you know. <laughs> like, you still can't look in a mirror. All the tears. Like, oh. You can take the fat out of the girl. You can never take the fat girl out of the girl. Like, lots of weird, you know. And right in the middle... <laughs> Right in the middle, I buried this little gem that I assume is like the most banal entry on my list. And I mentioned to the group that like, I have a holy trinity of addiction that is marijuana, caffeine, and television. <laughs> and I can enjoy all three on a rotating basis as long as there are all three. Like I need nothing else. That is, that is happy right in there, right in that place. Where I'm sleepy from the bong hit, jittery from the coffee, need some bong hits. Oh, the Simpsons again, which aren't on Netflix, but I have every DVD. <laughs> and it gets to be my question and answer time, and people immediately go back to the pot. You smoke pot? Oh my God, you smoke pot? Because like it's not, I don't, I don't have the look. Like I am a librarian who hasn't graduated from college yet. Like I. <laughs> at 30. Like, I'm so old to be that part, but I'm such a, you know, I'm kind of a nerdy, I'm not like, I don't bring my drum to the circle, like I'm not... <laughs> very straight combed hair, like I don't have, yeah, I'm just not, I don't wear hiking boots or like, I don't have a pair of pants made out of four pairs of pants, like I'm just not... I don't fit the stoner stereotypes. Uh, so people are, are so curious, like, wait, you, you really smoke pot? Like, yeah, no, I, I, I smoke pot. Well, how much pot? All of the pot. I smoke the pot. <laughs> Always smoking pot. Well, when do you get high? Well, am I awake? That's, that's when I'm high, is awake. Awake times, and probably also while I'm sleeping if my dreams that I don't remember are any indication. I'm high. I'm high, and somebody was like, wait, you're high right now? Of course I'm high right now. Am I out of my house? Yes, I'm high right now. Why wouldn't I be high right now? And they're titillated and excited, and then, and then uh, it, Quinoa Chopsticks raises her hand. And she doesn't look at me. She turns to the instructor of the class and says, you know, I actually don't think it's appropriate that somebody would come into the classroom environment intoxicated. <laughs> I think it potentially compromises the confidentiality we all expect one another to maintain. And I think it undermines the creative spirit that we should all approach this workshop with. Like, I've been punched in the stomach. That felt more like being punched in the stomach than being punched in the stomach. Like, I was in the moment just sort of flattened because being called out on being high, like, nobody likes to be called out on being, like, doing something that might be socially unacceptable. But, like, you can wipe off a booger. Like, you can wave away a fart. I can't just not be high. Like, I can't just flip the switch. And like, in a, a second ago, I was totally like, yeah, and you know, I'm quick-witted and comfortable. And suddenly I was like, yeah, I'm, oh God, I'm really high. <laughs> so high, man. Just 
space and shit. It's like we're all just here, specks of dust. Floating, man. Did you know we're all just liquid? Vibrating? I'm defensive and I don't want to get mad at her and like, I just sort of, I just want to keep my cool so I look at her and just have to, like I'm legitimately curious. I just have to ask her like, is there anything in my behavior up until this point that makes you concerned that I'm not in control of my facilities? Like is there some reason that you think I'm about to like freak out, crap my pants and steal your purse? Is that (laughs) like a concern that you're legitimately having? And she just turned around and said, like, I think it's more respectful to the class environment if we move forward with an expectation of sobriety here. (laughs) And the instructor said, 10 minute break, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) And I just took off. And we're in this locked building, so once I leave, I don't even know if I can get, like, back in. But I'm just out. And as soon as I leave, the room, it's just like, just tears. It's the kind of sobbing where it's like all air out, no air in, I'm just, everything, snot and drool, just ah, Which is the only way you can make people on the street more uncomfortable than you. (laughs) While you're sobbing, like you're sad, but I'm sadder for having seen it. I'm gonna go about my day. So it's like the Red Sea of businessmen parting as I walk through downtown, just sobbing. And on the first, like, I just jet out of the building and I start walking around the block and it's downtown San Francisco, so that's like a quarter mile. So, like, I got some time. And I'm like, the fir- I'm walking out of the building. It's just like that fucking bitch, cunt bitch face, cunt bitch face, cunty, cunty bitch face. Oh, no! Just rage, rage tears. And I around the corner and it's like, you know, but she's not wrong. She does have a point. Like, it might be nice to be able to approach a classroom environment or a workshop and not have to take, like, one-hitters in my car before I go upstairs, but that's not yet an option for me. Like, she's not incorrect. It might be nice to expect that people don't show up loaded to everywhere you go, but I did it tonight, and it seems to be working out for me. Like, everybody has their own fucking winning formula and as I turn the third corner it's like fuck it that's mine and I just grab my one hitter and I just smoke that whole third last leg just weeping weed smoke downtown not a problem like walking by a dude with way worse problems than mine like that's some perspective and then I just keep going (laughs) and around the corner uh, you know and I can see the building and the instructor is a huge dude. He's like six foot four. And he has the door held open and he has his toe on the door and he's leaning out as far as he can and looking up both sides of the street, trying to figure out if I'm coming back. And he sees me and his whole body just like, I see the relief. And he folds me into this big, huge hug. And like, he doesn't have to say anything. He said it. He asked me to be vulnerable and it didn't go the way anybody planned. And it's like a big choice. Like, do I go back to that class? Because I can just keep walking. Like, Bart is not far away. I don't have to do that. But I'm not a comfortable person. Being uncomfortable is not anything new to me. And where I am comfortable is here. 
And I'm not going to let my issues or anybody else's issues with me stop me from being here. So I stuck with it. I did this class and we all had to do like a group deconstruction of what had happened the next session because we're white liberals and like <laughs> the lesbian warrior princess in the class led it and it all went really well and we healed and I wrote a piece that I'm super proud of. I still really love it. It's something I'm very proud I did. And when I got to perform it, I was so comfortable. And that's sort of like, in the end, I'm super glad that I'm not afraid of being afraid and the discomfort isn't that uncomfortable. Uh, but I do want you to know that I've left some of my cards in a stack in the lobby. So if you'd like more information about them, you can find it on my website. I think we all know it's best that I not attempt conversation or eye contact tonight. Thank you very much. singers behind me now well i'll tell you we had such a phenomenal time in san francisco what a show that was there at the eureka theater that night now there's one story left over that we're going to have on the next episode the extra risk we'll have greg proops told an amazing story too so that's going to be an episode all to itself next time around oh and the orgy that night holy camoles what a wonderland what a fantastic time a big shout out to all my kingster friends in san francisco what very colorful beautiful people and very vocal people i was kind of tickled that i could add to all the loudness maybe that will be a part of a story i will tell sometime down the road now listen, you guys are always writing to us saying, oh my God, I can't get enough of Risk. Well, I hope you know that three of our very best episodes of all time are the All-Star episodes. And the third one has just been released. You can find it in the album section in the iTunes store. Just search for Risk All-Star. This episode features Andy Dick. So it's like, yeah, fasting's wonderful. I mean, look at me. We're ready. So am I. Boom. <laughs> Crap my pants. And the gorgeous and hilarious Aisha Tyler. You know, you would drive these country roads and, and then neon crosses will just float out of the dark and they look as if they're on fire. Not, not good imagery for me as a black person, burning crosses or even, you know, a facsimile of a burning cross. Nothing burning and cross together, just not good.
Also from the amazing new show, Totally Biased, on FX, it's W. Kamau Bell. And I woke up, and Mara's staring at me with a smile on her face. And I'm like, what? She's like, my water broke. And I was like, ah! Right here in the bed, I'm sleeping on broken water? <laughs> like, hey, let a Negro know. And from the pop group Danity Kane and Celebrity Apprentice, it's Aubrey O'Day. I glanced into the room and it looked like a crime scene. <laughs> it was like, I mean, there was blood all over the sheets. There was like a hand on the wall. <laughs> so anyway, I started my period. <laughs> and finally, from Fitzdog Radio, it's the hilarious Mr. Greg Fitzsimmons. I'm in the middle of the woods at night and this guy's got his dick out. And so I panicked, and I just pushed him really hard, and he fell down. And, and, then, <laughs> and he, <laughs> he rolled over onto his feet, and then he ran, he darted off back into the darkness, but with his junk flapping up and down. And then I just, just stumbled out of the woods, like, okay, we figured that one out. Do not miss out, folks. If you like our Best of Risk episodes, well, our All-Star episodes are just as good. Go to the album section at iTunes, look up Risk All-Star, and they're all three there for just $2.99 each. Tell your friends they're there, too. It's a great way to help keep Risk running, and you do not want to miss out. If you're anywhere near an iPhone or a computer right now, go to the iTunes store and look up Risk all-star. Let's get back now to our show at Sketchfest. This is Risk, live in San Francisco. is another person I've wanted to have on for the longest time, so it's a real thrill. Uh, he, he says he is an international comedy tourer. Please welcome to the stage Mr. Glenn Wolf! Hello. So my story starts when I was like, 22, I'd moved from Vancouver, uh, Canada, to Montreal, Canada. So I didn't really know much about the uh, town, but I was there to further my comedy career, and I uh, got really drunk one night, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> and uh, the bars were all closing, and uh, I was staying at my buddy's place, and I thought, I'm going I'm to walk back, but I'm going to walk back via the Montreal Forum, where the Montreal Canadiens played. It was closing that year, and they were going to move to a new center, and I thought, best take a piss on it <laughs> before it's closed, and you're not allowed to pee on it anymore. That was in my head. Because I'm a good Western Canadian boy, and if you get a chance to piss on where the Canadians play, you do. So, in a very drunken state, I walk to the Montreal Forum about 3 o'clock in the morning, and I take a gigantic Molson beer piss all over this place. And I hear a car pull up behind me, and I'm like, oh, fuck. It's the cops. And you're not, you can't tell them, well, I'm from Western Canada. 
and I want to piss on your hockey team. You know, and then have to tell him in French, because that's the fucking rule. So, there's my piss. And I just hear like a car wait, and then I shake off like that. And I turn and put my dick away, and it's just a dude. It's just a dude. And I was like, yay! Just a dude! And I go up, I'm like, what do you need? He's like, do you know where the bar, the stinky pig is, or whatever the fuck he was looking for? I'm like, no, but let's go find it, man. Let's go find the stinky pig. So I get in this guy's car. And we're driving around looking for the stinky pig. And I'm like, you know, like, bars are closed, man. Like, I, I know. I, I. I checked, and he's like, he's like, well, I got vodka at my place. And I'm like, yeah! Fucking vodka at that guy's house! What I didn't know was where I was was quite a renowned gay cruise. So I had gotten into the car with a gentleman who believed me to be a prostitute. with my introduction to him being like just turned and waggled my dick at the guy you could see how the mistake would be made so we go back to his place and the penny is starting to drop for me what's going on because <laughs> I just thought it was vodka and that guy's house yeah <laughs> so I'm sitting there drinking vodka and he comes out in a towel and he's got the sauna ready <laughs> I was like oh <laughs> no No. Sorry. I, I see where wires have been crossed. But no. Sorry, man. Uh, didn't stop me from drinking. Like, I just stayed there and he was in his towel. Just fucking sitting there. And I'm like, okay. No, it's weird. You like close the legs. <laughs> we got, I gotta fucking. You know what? I'll have one more vodka, and then, and then I gotta fuck off. And that's when I knew something was wrong. Cause he like jumped up. He's like, no, 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 I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it. I'm like, fuck, man. I know where. Yeah, okay. Well, get you, you get the vodka then. I don't give a fuck. And comes back, and I'm drinking this vodka. And uh, about 10 minutes later, I'm like, ooh, oh, oh, <laughs> oh, Dr. Feelgood has been uh, making the drinks tonight. He's fucking slugged me. He's put, a, he's put a roofie in my vodka. 
What he doesn't know, because I was quite a fresh-faced young Canadian man, is that I've got a drug intake that you cannot fight with run Rohypnol. <laughs> you bring one? No fucking way! I will kick the shit out of a Rohypnol! <laughs> and he's fucking amazed. Because he's put enough to dose a rhino. <laughs> and I'm just looking at him like Robert De Niro in Raging Bull, like, you never put me out, sugar. You never put me out. So he's freaked out because he's never seen anybody fucking fight it before like this. Like, I'm just getting goofier. I'm like, where's more vodka? <laughs> Jesus Christ, like he's getting scared, and I'm like, it's time to go home. He's like, yeah, I'll give you a ride. Fucking gives me a ride home. Cause he doesn't know what's gonna happen with me. Like I'm fucking taking it further. So I'm in his car, and he's got like power windows, and I'm just thinking, and he finally, like, he's getting agitated and he's like, would you mind not playing with my windows? I was like, would you mind not trying to rape me? <laughs> Fucking a-hole. So he got me back to my buddy's place. I went up and I, I, I got to the couch and I slept for a fair few days. <laughs> Now, the reason I tell you that part of the story is because uh, years later, I uh, was living in England at this point, and uh, I had just gotten my first Australian tour, where I was going to have to go from England to Australia. And um, I went to this club in Birmingham, England, where I used to live for a long time, and I had a lot of friends there. And I went, look, I'm flying straight out of Birmingham to Australia, um, on Sunday, and this was the Friday night, I'm like, let's get a load of pills, like ecstasy, and we're gonna have a fun, great night. And he's like, yeah, cool. So he shows up to the club on the Friday. He's got like a fucking Santa sack of ecstasy. <laughs> you know, he comes in the green room, fucking flops it down. I don't even ask no questions, just fucking get it, get it in there. Fucking take my ecstasy, I put my hand in, I give him his. He's like, no, I gotta take off, man. I, gotta, oh, I just thought you wanted it. No, I got shit to do tomorrow. I can't, I can't take ecstasy with you tonight. And like, I'm already, like, I'm in. I'm in, I can't go anywhere. I'm like, dude, fucking. All right, well, get out of here. So I talk, uh, I talk to the uh, club, uh, club manager and I say, like, I'm, do you want to come out to a bar with me? I'm, like, literally about to come up on ecstasy, and I've got nothing to do. And, it, like, everyone in the club, every staff, everybody was like, no, we've all got shit to do tomorrow. We can't go out with you. I'm like, I'm like a fucking ticking time bomb. I'm like James Bond getting the laser on his cock. <laughs> I'm like, what, what am I going to do? Like, is there any bars? And, and he's like, well, there's one down the street, but... It's like a half gay bar. I was like, I don't give a fuck. I'll 
drink with gay people, aren't you? Like, I don't even understand, like, half gay bar means. Like, there's a line of tape in it. <laughs> Bunch of frat guys on one side. Bunch of people who aren't gay on the other. Oh! <laughs> oh, that's a little slice of genius right there. I show up at this bar on my own. I'm fucking wired on ecstasy, and it's coming off. I'm drinking these beers, and I'm just sort of fucking walking around, having a good time. Music's good. I don't give a fuck. I'm sitting there drinking a beer, and these two very, very gay men come and sit beside me, and uh, they start inquiring as to uh, what I'm going to do later that night, and I'm just talking with them, just telling them my story about the ecstasy and they're going to Australia, and they kind of stopped, and they went, you're not gay, are you? I was like, no, no, I'm not. And they were like, oh, okay, well, whatever, fuck. And then we just talked about football. <laughs> you know? Like, they were, they were hitting on me, and then, and then they just found out I wasn't gay, and then they was like, okay, cool. Well, we still like your energy. We like you as a human. Let's just, uh, let's just hang out. And I fucking had a wonderful night with these two very homosexual men. But there was this other dude in this suit, and he kept coming up and grabbing me and shit. And uh, the two other dudes were like, D just, dude, fuck off. He's not, he's not gay. He's just... He's just here, you know? <laughs> Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know? It's just like, just fucking chill. But this guy's fucking weird, man. You could see in his eyes. He's just a fucking weird, weird dude. And uh, we got, our table got moved. They wanted to open up a bigger dance floor. So, they, so the staff came up and said, do you mind if we take your drinks to that table over there? We made you a new table. We just want this area for, for dancing. Yeah, man, cool. So in the process of shifting all the drinks over, uh, you know, people get hung up, start talking and stuff. Uh, I go over and I, I, I get to the new table first and the fucking weird dude is at the drinks. And he's kind of like fucking, he threw something in and walked away. And I, I saw it and I, I, you know, I fucking remembered <laughs> way back when. <laughs> it's like, so... We, me and these other uh, gay guys get back to the... the I, I, they had names, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> they were much more than just that, but I can't remember them, so... <laughs> uh, we get back to the table, and there's, there's a couple of beers lined up, and I shift the one that I seen the dude lurking around. I go, look, guys, that fucking weird dude... He was lurking around this drink. This one, the drink was mine. I think he's fucking, I, I, I can't say for sure. I didn't actually see anything go in, but I think something fishy's up. And because it was like that kind of like, kind of last call closing time kind of deal. The one, the one dude went, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea. The one dude who just finished his drink, this is the fucking English all over there. Yeah, fucking <laughs> Just fucking downs the pint. And I'm like, oh, I guess you're right. You're right. There was nothing wrong with it. Ten minutes later. <laughs> holy fuck. Like, he's just a boom. And I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know what to do, uh, but I think we should keep him up. Like, I'm thinking concussions. Like, just fucking <laughs> fight through it. Don't let him go to sleep. Because I, I fought through it. And it can be done. So, but then, like, the staff is like, well, you got to get out of here, man. It's last call. 
So me and this other dude, uh, we got like he's 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 got an arm on each of our shoulders, and we're walking him walking around the block of the of the where, where the bar was, and I'm like, well, fuck. Um, Look, I got a hotel room right close to here. Uh, let's just take him there. We'll give him coffee, keep him up, and just, you know, make sure nothing bad happens. So me and this other dude walking this one passed out dude like this fucking Frankenstein in his way all the way to the hotel. And the night porter sees this coming. And it's like me and like these were obviously gay men. Like, there was not, like, like, I can't state this enough. Like, not dressed in tiny sailor outfits, but close. Close. So, this fucking procession walks up to this night porter's hotel door, and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And he stops, I'm like, hey! I'm staying in this hotel. He's been slipped a date rape drug and we gotta get him up to my hotel room. And that's how you get outside your comfort zone. I've been Glenn, thank you, good night. I was actually a little disappointed that those guys weren't in tiny sailor outfits. That would have been right down my alley. Uh, our final storyteller is someone who used to be a, a native of this town, and I think he's in Los Angeles now. You can find him at the show The Business on a regular basis there. He was just on WTF with Mark Marin, and we're thrilled to have him on, Mr. Chris Garcia! <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Keep it going for all the other storytellers, huh? I'm excited to be here. I uh, just recently became a father. Yeah. Uh, by which I mean my father's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And uh, I don't feel uncomfortable. He is uh, he's doing well. He has no insight to his condition. He's taken care of. Uh, he's comfortable. Uh, life handed him a lemon, and he's using it as a remote control right now. He is, he's, in the, he's, like, he's on airplane mode. He's, like, he's having a good time. He's taking off his shirt in public. He's drinking a whole bunch of Diet Pepsi and recycling it right into a sock drawer. And I am not ready to... I am the same age my father was uh, when I was born. He's 70. I'm 35 years old. I am not prepared to be a father I still smoke pot out of apples. Okay, I am not ready. I cut my hand open the other day with a pair of scissors because I was trying to cut open an avocado to make drunk guacamole at five in the morning. I didn't have a Band-Aid, so I used a ribbon from a Christmas present and I put it on my hand and I sat on it because I don't have insurance, so if I get hurt, I have to die. I am not ready for this. But I love my father, and he's a great guy, and I'm going to do this. And so it's taken everything me and my mom and my sister have to care for my awesome dad. And it's brought us together in such a special way. 
Because, you know, he's, he really has no insight to it. But it really affects my mom and my, my sister and I. And it's brought us together so sweetly. And we communicate on a level that we've never talked before. We process things together. We share. We listen. We're each other's rocks. And so recently my mother was like, uh, so uh, your father and I are getting uh, intimate. And I was like, uh, no gracias. Uh, <laughs> nope. Uh, she's like, I can't tell people at church about this asshole. Just fucking listen. <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay. And she's like, we're getting very steamy. And I was like, okay, continue. But not the fucking adjectives, okay? Just lay it on me. Uh, that was a bad word choice, too. Uh, <laughs> but I was like, just let me know. Well, okay. And she's like, so your dad and I, uh, he gets very aggressive with me. Uh, he picks me up. He smushes me up against the wall. And just start. he's like chest to chest and pressing up against me and stops and goes, I don't know if I can do this. I have a wife and two kids. My father tried to cheat on my mom with my mom. And he stopped himself. His guilt is stronger than dementia. And my father has a type. Four foot eight Cuban ladies is my dad's jam. And so we're working together and we're determined to continue as a family and it's beautiful and it's hard and scary. So we like take my dad out and we try to pretend, we don't pretend something's wrong, we're just trying to continue our lives with him. And sometimes he's with it and sometimes he's not. And so we take him to Walmart one day and he walks right up to an African-American gentleman that works there and he says, uh, Hey, black guy, where's the cookies? (laughs) And I'm like, holy shit, my dad's back, everybody. (laughs) This medication is working. The dude still got it. That's just my pops, Jay Every Day right there. That's how the man works. And so that's what we're living with. And, And, uh... I guess my story starts now is that we're lucky enough, we, we found a home that we could afford, which is very difficult in this country, and we found something for low-income folks, and we're lucky to have them there. And one day, he had a bad reaction to his medication, and he pulled down a curtain uh, in one move and punched a woman in the face. I know, hilarious. <laughs> and so my dad had to be rushed to an ER room, and then he was taken to a psych ward, in Long Beach, California, with uh, people that were there for uh, various reasons. There was a a guy about my age that wore an open robe, and he was naked, and screamed at the Canadian embassy for a very long time (laughs) on a phone that was not in his hand. Uh, But he was pretending like he was like that. Uh, uh, It was the day the Discovery was landing in Los Angeles. It was a very big day. In L.A., there was huge buzz about it. It was going to fly over Long Beach. It was, it was very exciting because my dad, uh, he worked in the aerospace industry. And he immigrated from Cuba. He had a very tough life in Cuba. He was uh, molested as a child, abandoned by his parents. Uh, right around the time he was 20 years old, he was anti-communist. And so he was taken out of... Uh, out of college and forced to work in a sugarcane plantation where he was in uh, 
he was uh, in solitary confinement for two years, taken away from his wife and his first daughter. And he was tortured, and he was given electroshock therapy, which uh, doctors think it's maybe part of the reason he has dementia. My uh, father left Cuba for Spain with my mom. Got an education, came. Most Cubans go to Miami. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to go to Miami, wear some weird jewelry, and wear a lot of cologne. And my dad was like, fuck that. I want to work in the aerospace business. So he moved to Los Angeles. And so he worked uh, for like JPL and Rockwell and stuff like that as a machinist, uh, which is an amazing thing. So we're sitting there. And the discovery is a huge thing to my father. And as soon as he got there, he was restrained. He was strapped to a bed. And he would break through the, the restraints to the point that he bled. It's very tough to see. I hope you never have to see your parents go through. And so uh, they give my dad some, I uh, think, like Seroquel or something that just really veges him out. He goes zombie face, stone eyed, and just is completely blank. Uh, and he's, we're sitting in this, com- this like uh, community room or whatever, and uh, there's a uh, flat screen showing the discovery. And my father is not, it, this is nothing to him. And to, it's such a crazy moment. Well, the discovery starts to fly by Long Beach. And so the people working there, nurses and doctors and patients, go, up to, the, go to the window or go upstairs and watch as the discovery is flying by. And my dad's just like... And... Uh, there's the, uh, I, and everyone left. I was stuck in this room with my dad and other psychotic people. And I'm just w- like sitting there watching this thing. There's a very big man, a large man, watching it. He sees the discovery uh, on the TV. The discovery's on top of an airplane. And he just looks at it and he goes, ha, ha, ha. It looks like, it looks like it's wearing a little backpack. This hilarious black guy that was there, I don't know why, sees the discovery. It's a little scuffed up. It's been in space. And he goes, ha, yo, that nigga did a car wash. (laughs) (laughs) We're we're there with my dad. We're hanging out all day. I'm thinking about how crazy this is. This is the whole reason my father came here, to work on the space program. He had this dream. And uh, we're sitting there. And my father, out of the blue, snaps out of it. And it's beautiful. And he sees my mom. And he smiles so big. It's like, like a thousand corgi videos adorable. <laughs> it's like every kitten picture you've ever seen on the internet times a billion. He brightens up. He looks at my mom. And he goes, uh, Matika. It's my mom's name. He's like, Matika. He takes her hand, and it's like shaking, and he kisses her on the hand. And he leans in, and he kisses her on the mouth. My mom's crying. It's so beautiful. My sister's crying. Nurse crying. I have, the, I don't know, I have this, I have this like Cuban like machismo thing all of a sudden that I clearly don't have. 
washes over me in that moment. I'm like, I can't cry. Cool kiss, yeah. Uh, and so I'm trying to be tough. I was like, my dad would hate it if I cried right now. He, 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 I, I'm the sensitive kid, and he didn't really like it. But I would cry all the time, so I'm not going to cry. I'm going to be tough. And I'm just going to like, I lean in, and I put my arm around my dad and just like, give him like a bro pat <laughs> just on his back. I just go like that. And he looks over to me. And he goes, uh, who's this Mexican faggot? <laughs> My dad still got it, everybody. Uh, before I get out of here, this is an awesome show, by the way. This is great that we get to do this. I, uh, I want to play you something before I get out of here. It's a voicemail from my mother that she recently sent me. And uh, let's see. Hi, Papa. Uh, is this message in Spanish? My, me and my parents speak Spanish together. I didn't think it was appropriate to like do act outs during my set. And then my mom was like, Cuchi, cuchi, Manes, like, why are you talking about man? That's crazy! <laughs> Yeah, your puppy was very horny and he pushed me as a one I did not feel like that was appropriate, so I just spoke in my voice. I didn't want to bring that into this. So my mom goes. Hi, Papa. She calls me Papa. She's like, hey, Papa, I'm calling to tell you something funny. Dad's very well. He's doing well. I had to leave because Dad wanted to do a quickie. <laughs> My mom's awesome. We're getting through this. It's okay. My dad still has a boner for my fucking mom. That's so amazing. His brain's dead and his dick is still hard. See you later, alligator. <laughs> she goes, see you later, alligator. <laughs> like she has a fucking catchphrase or some shit. It's just his brain, but he's still very much in love with me. <laughs> I had to get out of there. Because he, he wanted to give me the cannon. <laughs> Call back to see you later, alligator. Okay, papa, it's so terrible. It's so you. Love you, mijo. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good night.
for this week folks I'll tell you was that story by Chris Garcia a beautiful thing or what everyone in San Francisco was so wonderful and now this is ex-cops behind me now and listen remember you can always find out more about the storytellers and the people who do the music on our show if you go to the listen pages at risk-show.com slash listen you can also find out where we'll be performing next at risk-show.com slash tour. Our February 28th show in New York will feature Rob Delaney. That same night we'll be in Los Angeles with Kurt Braunohler. And don't forget to check out those all-star episodes. If you go to the iTunes store, check in the album section, look up Risk All-Star. Previous episodes have featured Sarah Silverman, Lisa Lampanelli, Mark Marin, Adam McKay, Kevin Nealon, Nick Swardson, Carrie Kenny, Samantha B, Michael Ian Black, Paul F. Tompkins, and I can't even remember who else. Just get to the iTunes store and look up Risk All Star now. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Risk Show. Follow me on Twitter at the Kevin Allison. Comment on us on iTunes and donate to us at MaximumFun.org slash donate. We are proud members of the Maximum Fun family and we are listener supported. We cannot keep it going without the participation and help of our fans. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Gotta get yourself a love bear. You can't have this bear. Oh.